Martin Niemöller, a German theologian and Lutheran pastor, wrote these famous words in 1946. They came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time, no one was left to speak up. Welcome to the first episode of a new podcast. First, they came for the immigrants. My name is Mike Hurwitz, and I will be behind the scenes working as producer. But it is my great pleasure to introduce the host of our podcast, Virginia Raymond. Virginia is a lawyer based in Austin, Texas. She represents immigrants and asylum seekers in deportation or removal proceedings, mostly in Central and South Texas. She is also a human rights advocate, teacher, oral historian, and scholar. Back in the 1980s, as a law student, Virginia began volunteering with Proyecto Libertad in Harlingen, Texas. She later went on to co-found the Political Asylum Project of Austin, now called American Gateways. During her career, she has worked for a variety of organizations and served as the founding director of the Texas After Violence Project, which conducted over 100 oral history interviews related to violence, human rights violations, and most specifically, the death penalty in Texas. In addition to her legal work, Virginia earned a PhD in English with a focus on Mexican-American literature from the University of Texas at Austin. I have had the good fortune to know Virginia personally for many years and have learned so much, but I have often thought Virginia has so many contacts, so much experience and depth of knowledge. How can more people learn from her as well as her friends and her colleagues? Well, this podcast is your chance to learn from an amazing teacher and get a better understanding from a true expert of what is happening to immigrants and asylum seekers today and the implications for our democracy, as well as what we can do about it. Thank you for joining us and welcome. Hi, Virginia. Hi, Mike. Welcome. Uh, I am so excited to be finally getting together with you, even though it's over Zoom and we're uh, using technology to do it. And uh, I feel like this podcast, the time is now, the time is yesterday, the time is tomorrow. So um, I want to begin by just you know, welcoming you and thanking you for doing this and giving of your time. Thank you, Mike. I'm very excited. I've been excited ever since you pro- proposed this, um, however many months ago that was. And I'm very grateful to you, um, to your friend Dave, and today also to Avi for helping us with many of the technical aspects of this um, production, which God knows I could not have done on my own. So thank you. So let's just jump right in. Why are we here? What is this podcast? And what are we hoping to accomplish with this? And I want to just just turn it over to you. Okay, thanks. So um, what is this podcast? The podcast is, first of all, based on the premise that the systematic abuse of 
immigrants um, who are coming to the United States today is both an exercise of power by people who are quite frankly tyrants and um, who are who are practicing demonizing a whole group of people, scapegoating them for a whole host of problems that the United States has and has had for a long time. And it is an experiment by those same tyrants in seeing how far they can go in dismantling democracy. And um, they have tried over the last um, several years, and, and I, should, I should pause here and say that what has been happening with immigrants is not limited to the current administration under President Trump, but has, has been going on for a while. But it has certainly sped up and intensified over the since January of 2017. But an experiment in how far they can go in dismantling democracy before people will rise up and say, that's enough. You're not taking away our democracy from us. And this is why, even though uh, not everybody cares about immigrants, certainly not to the same degree. Um, even if you don't care about undocumented immigrants or other immigrants, people should care about democracy who live in the United States or who have looked to the United States for an example of democracy. A democracy that has never been perfect and has, from the instant it started, um, fall fallen way short of its ideals, but was has been um, a noble a noble effort. Um, and so uh, towards which many people have worked. And now it is um, in intensive care. So the pitiful irony is that many people who oppose immigration and who oppose the coming of immigrants undocumented or otherwise, um, are crying out, look, we need to save our way of life, um, that the United States needs to preserve or save our way of life. And ironically, the very measures that those people are taking to reduce immigrants are those that undermine democracy. And the ways in which those measures to restrict immigration and to strip immigrants of basic fundamental human rights guaranteed not only by the United States Constitution and not only by international law, but also by many of our sense of common decency, um, those efforts are undermining democracy. So they say they wanna preserve our way of life, but they are undermining democracy um, by the ways in which they are keeping immigrants out. And so that's why it is important to those people who see immigrants as fellow human beings and who care about them and maybe care about particular immigrants, but also should be of interest to anybody who cares about even the idea of democracy or the project of democracy, of working towards democracy. So that's why we think this topic is important. Who is this podcast for? This podcast is for any English-speaking human being <laughs> who cares about immigrants or who cares about democracy, but it is not for professional or extremely knowledgeable immigration activists, whether they be immigrants themselves or um, immigration lawyers or other people who are already deeply steeped in immigration law and immigration policy and what's been going on for the last several years. 
It's not for experts. It's for the concerned English-speaking human being who wants to know what's going on, who knows that something is wrong, but doesn't understand how we got here, doesn't understand a lot of the very specialized terminology, and who um, almost has whiplash from all the things that have taken place recently. Um, and what do we want to come out of this? I hope that people will come out feeling like they know a little bit more about what's going on and what has been going on. And I hope that people will find ways to channel their sorrow and their anger about what has been happening, what this country is doing and has been doing to immigrants of late, um, especially because we can see it. We have photographs, we have videos, we have lots of information coming at us that has not uh, future, I mean, past generations have not always had that information coming at that, them in that same overwhelming way, that people can take their sorrow and their anger and their disillusionment and to channel it into resistance, which will bring us hope. I think that finding hope, the way that we find hope is that we resist what's going on and we do that in effective, uh, forward-looking ways that, that are based on our values that we not treat other human beings in ways that we ourselves would not want to be treated. I think so that's that, kind of it. I think that <laughs> is all super important and wonderful. And I also just want to say that if you are an expert, you still may want to listen to this because I feel like you will have a lot to say to all people who care at this time. Um, we're excited to be able to, uh, draw on your deep well of contacts and your years of experience in the field. And we'll be bringing forward some guest speakers along the way. We'll be talking with people who are doing very important work around Texas and around uh, possibly around the world. And um, we will be uh, hearing from some of the organizations that are, that are making a difference now, but I want to just, keep things going. Tell us more about what you have in mind. Well, um, thanks. Thanks, Mike. And we'll, we'll just see. I guess our audience will find itself or not. Um, I want one of the things for this podcast to do is to um, uh, take the mythology out of some immigration terms. And um, because they're specialized words, but they have ordinary meanings and we can talk about those ordinary meanings and demystify the whole process a bit. So I hope um, every podcast, we will take a couple of terms and take the time to define them in regular people language, not just legal language. Um, I want to talk about um, the measures that have been happening and what they mean, because there's a lot of terms that are deliberately um, misleading. Um, for one is, for example, the so-called migrant protection protocols, which we're not going to spend a lot of time on on this first podcast, but we will in future podcasts. And so the word protection makes you would make you think that it's a good thing, that we are actually caring about migrants and we're trying to protect them. But that's not true. And so we will talk about various measures, changes in immigration law and practice over the last um, couple of chapters. 
um, I want to recommend uh, reading for people who want to understand more. Um, typically, I would like to recommend a book that's specifically on immigration, um, starting with immigration in the United States, but of course, immigration is a worldwide phenomenon, always has been and certainly is right now. And also something that is of more general interest to people who care about democracy. So I have two of those recommendations today. I would like to um, spend some time each podcast remembering lives lost or a life lost to our immigration policies and practices. And then I want to end with something hopeful. Um, and in future episodes, we will be talking with um, many of the people um, you know, one at a time, probably, who are doing fantastic work in the, for human rights, um, assisting human beings who are immigrants and resisting the tyrannical policies that we have with us today. Today, I'm just going to name a few of those organizations and people. I'm not going to, uh, we're experimenting. This is our premier podcast, and we're figuring out the technology as we go. So we didn't bring any any victims <laughs> on who to inflict our um, our new experiment with this technology, but um, we will be doing that in the future. And we will also be issuing calls to action and telling people what they can do from their homes and uh, what they can do as regular human beings to um, stop the destruction of our democracy and stop the tyrannical practices that we are wielding against human beings who are immigrants today. So let's start with some definitions. Um, what do we need to know? What do people like me who are concerned, uh, members of the community wanting to get involved, wanting to understand what's happening, but who have a hard time following all of the policy changes and all of the diversions that are being uh, propagated right now. Great, thank you. So the first term I would like to start out with is the term immigration court. The term immigration court suggests that when we talk about people going to immigration court, um, as immigration judges deciding whether or not to grant somebody asylum or permission to stay in the United States so they won't be persecuted back in their home countries. The word courts make, makes us think that we are talking about the judiciary, okay? Excuse the simple <laughs> reminder, but we are supposed to live in a country that has three separate branches of government with three separate functions, um, separate powers. Uh, the legislature, and on the federal level, this is Congress, is supposed to make the laws. That is a representative body. We elect people to Congress from our congressional districts and also from our states. So we have congressional representatives, one per district, and we have senators, two per state that they are supposed to make the laws. We have an executive branch consisting of the president and uh, agencies under the executive branch, and they are supposed to carry out the laws, um, to implement the laws. And then we have the judiciary, which 
are courts. Um, on the federal level, those are district courts, appellate courts, the Supreme Court. And then we also have some special federal courts that are a little bit different, um, such as the bankruptcy courts. But that's all on the federal level. And those three branches of government are supposed to be independent from one another. And so when we hear the term immigration court, you would be excused for believing that immigration courts are part of the judicial system, but they are not. And once you understand that they are not part of the judicial system, they are not part of the judiciary, but in fact, they are part of the executive branch of government, much more comes into focus. Immigration courts are part of what is called the executive Office for Immigration Review, or EOIR, which consists of individual immigration courts for which individual immigration judges work, and the Board of Immigration Appeals. And all of that, the EOIR, is part of the Department of Justice, which is part of the executive branch of government. So currently, the entire Department of Justice is under the president. I mean, this is true always, but the Department of Justice is under the president of the United States. The top official currently in the Department of Justice right now is Attorney General William Barr. So all the immigration judges and everybody who works for the Board of Immigration Appeals has William Barr as their boss. Okay, so I most typically practice in the San Antonio Immigration Court. And the San Antonio Immigration Court is um, located right now in primarily in two different buildings in San Antonio. And there are a number of immigration judges who all work for the San Antonio Immigration Court. And it also has um, sort of sub offices in Laredo, Texas, and in Pearsall, Texas. And um, it covers a lot of territory. Those immigration judges are administrative law judges. They are not members of the judiciary. They are not independent of the executive branch. Rather, they are employees of the executive branch of government, specifically EOIR under the Department of Justice under currently William Barr. So immigration judges are not like what I would call with no, you know, not trying to insult immigration judges at all, but they are not real judges in the sense that when they are take office, they do not pledge to uphold the US constitution or the state constitution. They are given a book called the Immigration and Nat Nationality Act and a lot of rules underneath that act, which they are bound to interpret according to how the Board of Immigration Appeals and William Barr currently tell them how to enforce it. Unless, and this is way the exception, um, a federal court or uh, district court or a court of appeals or the Supreme Court tells them otherwise. But they don't ever get to say, you know what, what has happened to you 
um, Ms. Immigrant or child immigrant is wrong and unconstitutional. It violates treaties that the United States has signed. It violates um, other laws that we have. They don't get to do that. They don't get to um, make those kinds of decisions. They only can go by what the Immigration and Nationality Act as interpreted by the Board of Immigration Appeals and as in interpreted by the Attorney General have said it means. So that's really important. It's not that they are bad people. It's not that they um, are necessarily partisan, but that's their job. They are administrative law judges, not part of any judiciary. Got it. And that's important information that a lot of people don't really understand. Right. Yeah. Right. And so um, what else do we want to cover in this our premier podcast. So uh, I'm assuming that many of the good English speaking human beings who are listening to this podcast, who are concerned about either immigrants or democracy, like to read or might like to know of what's out there. And so today I wanna to recommend two books. One of them, and I will, um, I will, you know, happily, uh, say that um, both of these are people I know, one who remains a good friend um, and one who was really important earlier in my life, but who is not currently in my life, um, just because that's the way life works. But one book that I want to recommend is by Christina Salinas, who is an associate professor of history, as well as Mexican-American um, studies at the University of Texas at Arlington. And in 2018, she published her book, Managed Migrations. The subtitle is Growers, Farm Workers, and Border Enforcement in the 20th Century. So a little bit of history always helps, I think. Um, it helps for lots of reasons of understanding where uh, we are, but it also helps somewhat put the pain of today in context which does not at all mean that we minimize it or we say it's not important, but helps us understand um, and have some perspective on that. And in managed migrations, Christina Salinas, Professor Dr. Salinas does a couple of things that are really important. One is that she talks about how, although immigration policy is made in Washington, DC by Congress for the most part, um, and sometimes by the executive branch um, as both of those as uh, modulated and uh, sort of reined in, hopefully by the courts, the judicial system, much immigration policy takes place on the ground. And so a South Texan herself, uh, Christina Salinas dug deep into the archives to see that often there was negotiations going on between growers, those people who relied on immigrant labor, uh, border uh, officials, and um, farm workers themselves in sort of negotiating how immigration policy was going to look like on the ground, literally on the ground. And so it's a really important study. Um, it's the opposite of an inside the beltway book. It um, talks about how things worked in actual practice. Um, the other thing that 
it does, which is not original to Dr. Salinas, but when I started studying immigration law, and I use that term very loosely, (laughs) trying to understand immigration law, this is what I thought. In times of growth, in times when the economy is growing, um, immigration was more open. The United States welcomed immigrants. And in times of restriction, like the Great Depression, for example, like the 1930s, the United States tried to clamp down on immigration. And at all times, immigration policy was influenced by racism. And who were the racial scapegoats of the day? So at some points, that was Chinese people. At some points, those were Eastern European Jews. At some points, they were Chinese, um, Japanese people. Um, And, you know, all of this going hand in hand with our original sins of genocide against Native peoples and the enslavement of African Americans. And that basic schema is not exactly true. There's some truth to it, but just like a lens that helps you see certain things and obscures other things that are going on, like there's no one lens that's going to allow you to see the Milky Way and an amoeba, much less a virus at the same time, right? Um, There's hardly any glasses that will allow me to see close and far at the same time, even though close and far are not that close and that far. But um, that schema is uh, Dr. Salinas and other scholars have challenged and shown that instead all along during periods of growth and periods of restriction, um, immigration has been managed, managed. And, Um, certainly with racist um, ideologies behind it. So for instance, Mexicans don't fit in neatly to that expansion and contraction model. Uh, So um, anyway, that's a really great book. I recommend that you look at it. And um, we are in Texas and the South Texas is part of our our world and Arlington where Dr. Salinas teaches now is part of our world. And so um, I think it might be especially interesting to those of us who live in Texas or in the US Southwest. The second book I wanna recommend today is by Erwin Chemerinsky. And Erwin Chemerinsky is at present a professor and Dean of the University of California at Berkeley School of Law. He's someone I know from when I was a teenager, Um, and I was very lucky to essentially have Erwin Chemerinsky as kind of like my camp counselor when I went to a debate debate workshop that was um, during the summer at Northwestern University. And um, at the time, we said to each other, oh, no, Erwin is, you know, Erwin Chemerinsky is the smartest person ever we've ever met in the whole world. And it turns out many years later, that actually is true. (laughs) He is, you know, one of the most brilliant people in the world. And he is one of the foremost constitutional uh, law professors in the country. And he's written a number of books. And the most recent book is not that recent. It's by uh, 2017 called Closing the Courthouse Door how your constitutional rights became unenforceable. And 
Professor Chimarinsky, Dean Chimarinsky, published this book in 2017. And by that very number, you will know that this has not been a process that we can attribute to this administration. It's a long process that's been going on for many years. And um, we can talk maybe more about this book for some time, but I, I want to um, say something else interesting about the place that he teaches now and about the dean himself. For many, many, many years, uh, the law school that is at the University of California at Berkeley was called Bolt Hall, B-O-A-L-T Hall. And um, when Professor Chimarinsky took over being a dean at that university, he formed a committee to examine whether or not that name should remain. And it turns out that the Bolt after whom the law school at the University of California at at Berkeley is named was a very bad person, I would say, even historically, who really um, did a lot of things that we um, would consider racist and against um, every value that we hold dear, but including um, being a prime voice um, for the Chinese Exclusion Act for keeping people out of the United States based on the fact that they were Chinese, based on racist ideology about Chinese people not being equal to, as human as, as worthy as uh, European um, descended people, particularly people from the British Isles and Northern Europe. So um, that committee met, um, Dean Chimarinsky said he got like 800 comments and two thirds of the people who commented were very much against um, keeping the name. And so they got rid of the name Bolt Hall earlier this year, earlier in January of 2020. So um, those are two books that I would recommend um, that people read. So, so from there, um, we are moving towards the closing portions of our premiere podcast. And I want to uh, ask, what else did you want to leave us with? What else do we want to um, dial in on before we, before we close? Two things. One is somber and one is less so. I want to dedicate this premiere podcast to two people who died in June of 2019, trying to cross the river that those of us in the United States called the Rio Grande River, um, the river between the United States and Mexico, and people south of that river called the Rio Bravo. And those two people, uh, you might have seen photographs of them, unfortunately, in the press, were a father and daughter from El Salvador. The father was Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez, 25 years old, and his daughter, Angie Valeria Martinez, who was 23 months old. And they were trying to cross that river to get to the United States to ask for asylum. And um, the mom uh, was on the Southern bank and hoping to join them soon, but they drowned in those strong currents of that water. And we will talk in future podcasts about why that happened, why they felt like they had to cross the river rather than present at a bridge and walk across the bridge and ask for asylum. 
Um, we will talk about that in future podcasts, but I want to dedicate this premiere to the memory of that father and daughter and very little girl, like, and, and to their family members who are left grieving on the southern bank of the river and in El Salvador. But secondly, I want us to end also on a note of hope. Many people are fighting to support immigrants, to educate other people about um, what we need to do and um, resisting, actively resisting. And we will have some of these people as guests on future podcasts, but let me just talk right now, just name some of them. The El Paso Anti-Deportation Squad, the Rio Grande Environmental um, International Study Center, the a group called Who's Emergency, based out of Laredo, who talks uh, who talked about whose emergency is it that we need to build a border wall? Grassroots Leadership, a national organization extremely active in Texas um, on both issues of criminal justice and on immigration and one of the intersections between those two, there are many, but one is about mass incarceration. Um, there are many nonprofit legal organizations trying to help immigrants um, who are helping immigrants. Those include um, the Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid Society, American Gateways, Justice for Our Neighbors, um, certainly RAICES, um, which has offices starting in San Antonio, but now all over Texas. Um, the Workers' Defense Project, or Proyecto Defensa Laboral, which um, helps immigrants advocate for themselves. And when they do that hard labor, make sure that they get paid. Uh, the San Antonio Interfaith Coalition. And one of my favorites is Angry Tias and Abuelas of the Rio Grande, who um, are provide direct aid to people waiting um, under bridges and south of the river and in other places. And there are so many more. Um, and we will learn about some of those efforts and how you can join them or support them uh, in coming podcasts. And that's our hope. So thank you, Virginia. And thank you all to everyone who's joining with us today. We are really excited you're here and we are uh, up and rolling. You've been listening to First They Came for the Immigrants, a new podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to give us a rating and review, which helps people find the podcast. Our audio was produced by Avi Hurwitz, who also performed the music at the introduction to the podcast. Outro music by progressive social justice rock band Swerve Left. Find us on Facebook and be sure to like us and follow us there. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Imagine.